in the word together. So let's pray. Father, we come before you once again. We thank you so very much for Jesus. We thank you so much for all the promises that we have in him. And that we can stand complete in Christ because of his work that you've graciously lavished upon us the results of that. So that we may stand before you and call you Father. We ask that as we look at the text this morning, that you would be honored and glorified by everything that is said, everything that is thought, and everything that is done. And that we may learn what does it look like to be a church and, and what, what should we do as a church to honor and glorify you? We thank you and love you. In your son's name, amen. Well, let me start off by just asking a simple question. What is the church? What are we? Well, there we go, the body of Christ. You know, when I think of this, I... I, I as a pastor, I like giving detailed answers that I only know the answers to and what the words mean so that I have some job security. So, uh, no, I, for me, when I think of the church, I think that we are Christ's chosen representative body who are divinely empowered to glorify God. That's what I think we are, right? We're the body of Christ, but we're, we're, we're Christ's, right? He's our leader. That's it. He's our leader. We have no other leader but Jesus. That is it. Now, we have under-shepherds and and leaders under that, but we follow Jesus. He's our captain. He's our general. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. We have all been chosen, and the work that he's done in our lives is based off of his calling, right? Based off of his work. But we've been chosen into something very specific, right? We're the ecclesia, the called-out ones. And we've been called into a body, yes, to mutually edify one another but we are also representatives of christ we're representatives of christ to the world around us we are christ's body because we he's our head he's the one that nourishes us and we're divinely empowered because those who are in christ when they place their faith in christ are indwelt with the holy spirit baptized by the spirit placed into the body of christ And now we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Jesus. That's what we are, right? And that's what the church does. We live based off of the control of the Spirit. We we live based off the power and grace that's given to us. And our end goal, our sole purpose for existing is to glorify God. That is why we are here, to honor and glorify him. Now, we would say we accomplish that by two means. Right? The edification of each other. That's why we're here. We're here to build one another up, to encourage one another, to encourage one another to live for Jesus. Right? And part of that living for Jesus means we've got to get rid of some sinful tendencies. So we're calling people to repentance. We're saying don't continue on in sin, but live for Jesus. Fight temptation. Live by the power of the Spirit. Exalt Jesus Christ. And we're looking at each other and we're praying for one another. We're encouraging one another. But another aspect we do that is through our witness. We edify the saints, but we also evangelize people, right? And we tell them of this wonderful news. That's how we glorify God. And So for the next couple weeks for our Resurrection Sunday series, what we're going to talk about is talking about the resurrection. I know it's not typical of how we think about the resurrection and how... We normally have sermons about the actual content of the resurrection. But I feel it's important that we are challenged 
to be witnesses, to be that representative body in our community, and to talk about Jesus and the power of Jesus and the implication of the resurrection to those around us. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you for the next couple of weeks to think about our witness. What does your witness look like to your neighbors? What does your witness look like to your coworkers? What does that look like to your family? And I want to challenge you to share the gospel. But I, I, I want to be very careful here. I, I don't want this to be a, a couple sermons where we get some evangelistic fervor and then we go out for a couple weeks and we just tell everything that moves about Jesus and, and uh, then we go, well, I've done my job. I, I've, I've shared the gospel once or twice in the past month. I'm good. What I want to do is I want to encourage us to have a biblical mindset of evangelism a biblical mindset of what should really motivate us to share the gospel. And what I'm concerned about is us living for Jesus and talking about Jesus and being passionately in love with Jesus Christ. So that's who we talk about. We talk about him because we love him. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the example of the church found in Acts chapter 2. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to see three things in Acts chapter 2. We're only going to look at one of them today. We're going to see first, in the first 13 verses, the empowered witness. See, before we even begin to talk about the message of the gospel and the message that we talk to people and, and having this effective ministry, we need to get a couple things straight first. Our witness includes our walk with the Lord. And that if we are filled and controlled by the Spirit, the natural product will be evangelism. I'm not here to sell you some sort of say this script, do this script, say this thing at the end of it. Great, now we've evangelized. Because that's not evangelism. Our neighbors, yes, they are a mission field, but they are also people. And we need to talk to them like people. What I'm concerned is that we live biblically, and from that biblical mindset and being controlled by the Spirit, the result of that will be discussion of Jesus. Why? Because we love Jesus. We see Jesus as the solution. He's the solution for me. He's the solution for you. So why would he not be the solution for my neighbor? And, and, and I just can't help but talk about Jesus. That's the goal. And so it starts, it starts with this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see that. Then we're going to look at Peter's sermon from chapter 14 all the way to uh, verse 41, where we're going to see an example of a witness. What's the type of things that we should be talking about when we do talk about Jesus? And then in a couple weeks, three weeks, we'll be talking about what does an effective witness look like. And we'll look at Acts 2.42 to the end of the chapter of the things that the church did as a witness, empowered, empowered and, and keeping the gospel centered. But this morning, we're going to look at the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2 and think about the empowered witness. And I wanted to show you three things from this text, if you're keeping notes. In verse 1, we're going to see that an empowered witness is made. We're made. We're going to see then in verses 2 through 4 that an empowered witness is spirit-filled. And then lastly, what we're going to see from 5 to the end is that an empowered witness is bold. 
but, but much more than bold. It's bold and speaking and glorifying God. A, 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 an empowered witness is at heart a worshiper. And at, and at the heart of evangelism is worship. That's what it is. We're exalting Christ and the work of Christ and the work of God and saving people. And so when we are talking to people about Jesus, in essence, we're worshiping and we're praising him. Because we're saying, here's the great news of what he's done. But for ease, I'm going to just use the word bold, because how do you put all of that into one word? So if you have a better word, let me know afterwards. Uh, But don't think about it too hard, because I want you to listen to the text. But let's go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. Now notice what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, we're kind of coming in toward, towards in the, kind of in the middle of the story. In chapter 1, we see that Luke is writing to Theophilus. This is the second part of the work that Christ is doing in the gospel of Luke. Luke is also writing to Theophilus, but sharing Christ's work while he was on earth walking. This is the book of Acts is Christ's work through the church. And through his witnesses. We could also call this the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Right? But in this. We see that there was this. Uh, there was this divine mandate from Jesus to the apostles to wait. And, and, and to wait for what? Well to wait to receive power. So just go with me to one. Just keep your finger here in chapter 2. But just turn over to. Chapter 1, and just notice in verse 6, this is the ascension. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Logical question, right? Here, here, Jesus, you're the Messiah of Israel. Does this mean that now is going to be the millennial kingdom and this restoration of Israel? And I love Jesus' response in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed for it by his own authority doesn't mean that we don't think about eschatology. It doesn't mean that this isn't an important question. But when we think about our mandate as Christians, our job is not to worry about what the Lord's going to do in the future. He's going to do that, right? And, and he does tell us what he's going to do so that we can hope in him, so that we have hope and we can encourage one another. So he writes it for us to know, but it is not our job to bring it in, right? That, that's what he's going to do. Notice what, notice what Jesus then says. He says, but you, right? So, yeah, all those times, that, those will happen because that's part of God's sovereign plan. But verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this, this then kind of becomes then the thesis for the entire book. And so the apostles go back to Jerusalem, and they're waiting, right? They're waiting. That's what they do. They sit there, and they wait. We, we learn later on in chapter 1 that what are they doing while they're waiting? They're praying. They're together and they're praying. And there's a group of them, right? At one time, there's 120 of them meeting together. And they're praying and they're dedicated to praying. They're waiting. Biblically, when we talk about waiting, we're not just saying that you just sit there, twiddle your thumbs and do nothing. Waiting is being obedient to what God's called you to do until the next thing that happens, Right? And that's what they're doing. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is a significant day for us. For them, it would have been significant as well. But they don't know, they don't know when the Holy Spirit's coming. They don't know when they're receiving power. They're together. Okay? And, and here's this great feast day for the Jews. Many pilgrims come from all around the, the ancient world to Jerusalem for this day to celebrate 
to celebrate. It's kind of like their thanksgiving, right? They're celebrating what God has done through the harvest. So they're all there. This is the smallest out of all of them, but there's a lot there. Some scholars estimate that there's almost a million people in Jerusalem at this time. This is what's happening, right? But notice what, notice what the apostles are doing. They were all together in one place. They're not witnesses yet. As much as they would want to be a witness, they're not witnesses yet, right? We could desire to be a witness, but we have to remember that we are made a witness because of what God does in our hearts, right? He makes witnesses. He, he makes us into his witness, also notice that they are waiting for the empowerment to be witnesses. It hasn't happened yet. I can't even imagine what this day would be like. Could you imagine waking up in the morning not indwelt by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to bed empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Right? This is something that's never happened before. This, this is unique in human history, that there were people that were followers of Jesus that weren't indwelled with the Holy Spirit. When they woke up, they go to bed, and they are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. They wake up the next morning. It, it, is, it, is, something, it is something that is unique in, in history. So they're all together, right? Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses when, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They're not right now, but they are, but they're together in one place. And what are they doing? Man, there's a lot of people that speculate what they're doing. One, one guy said, well, they're together preaching to each other. Maybe. I don't know. As a preacher, I like that. Yeah, they were preaching. I, I doubt that's what they were doing. You know what I think they were doing? I think they were praying. They were together. They were praying. You know what I think they're doing? I think they're encouraging one another. That's what I think they're doing. They're together. What are they doing? They're thinking about Jesus and it was only just a couple days ago that they saw Jesus float off into the sky and ascend. Got to be honest, that would take up a lot of your thinking after you see Jesus floating up into the sky and you're just sitting there watching it. This past week, somebody was talking, talking and I heard them say, we watch balloons that little kids let off and we watch till we can't see those anymore. Imagine somebody just floating. That would be, yeah, that's what I would be thinking about for the rest of my life. They're together. They're contemplating. They're not witnesses yet, but, but they need to be empowered. And when they are empowered, they will be witnesses. Notice that they're together and they're obedient. Jesus says, you will be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes. Together, what are they doing? They're not going out witnessing because that wasn't the mandate. The mandate was to wait for the power to come and then be a witness. So they're obedient, right? So they're sitting together, waiting, obeying, and praying. There's unity, there's prayer, there's obedience. It's beautiful, right? And, and almost, almost like in, in, in movie fashion, verse 2, and suddenly, suddenly compared to what? Suddenly compared to them just sitting in one place, right? It's sudden to the people in the room. They weren't expecting it. They didn't get an email. Jesus is saying, hey, about ready to drop the Holy Spirit this afternoon, so everybody get ready, right? Hashtag outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This didn't happen. They didn't know it was coming. 
So they're sitting in the room, not a, they're, they're expecting it to happen, not knowing when it happens. And to them, it was sudden, right? It just happened. And, and no, notice, notice how he describes this. And suddenly, there from heaven came a, a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Why, why does Luke say it came from heaven? Because it couldn't come from any other place. We know what's happening here, right? We know that this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the first time in this event that will never happen again. This event that the apostles experienced will never be repeated. This is a once in a redemptive history thing. Never happens again. We'll talk about some of the things that are repeated. There are some similarities, but as far as this event, this is, this is a singular event. We should not expect this to happen all the time because that we'll never be in these, we'll never be in these circumstances. This is a unique circumstance. So it comes from heaven because this is something that God does. It comes from heaven because he, he's the one who sends the Holy Spirit. Notice it wasn't that, that it comes from the side or it comes from underneath or it doesn't come from over there, but it comes from heaven, meaning that this, this is something of divine origin. This is a divine. What's, what's, what's happening is something that God's doing. Not, not what the apostles are doing because they've got together and they had a, a pitch meeting of how do we become effective witnesses. This, this is God's work on them. There's a lot that have made, <laughs> they've talked about this, this symbol of the, the, the wind. And they say, well, there's a similarity between the wind and the Holy Spirit. And they talk about how these are often together. And it is true that, that these are often talked about together. John chapter 3 talks about the wind and the spirit. However, I, I want you to, to notice what is actually said because there wasn't a wind. There was no wind. It was the sound of wind. That's different. Okay, it, there is wind, and, and the Holy Spirit is a symbol of wind, but that's not what Luke points out. He points out it was a sound like wind. That's interesting. I don't know what that means or what the symbolism is. I've heard lots of people talk about the symbolism of it. I don't know. Maybe it does symbolize the connection between wind, and we don't know where the wind is going or where it's going. We only see the effects of it. And so here's the effect of the wind, like we hear the wind. I don't know. Have you ever heard a bird fly? When it flaps its wings, doesn't it sound like a rush of wind? Isn't the Holy Spirit described as a dove maybe that's it i don't know i don't know maybe it symbolizes the new birth that's found in the church through christ right the breathing of new life into the church and when you breathe when you blow on something doesn't it sound like a rush of wind i don't know but that's what happened i also find it really interesting that at the birth of the church the sound that is heard is not a trumpet it's not a shout of victory. It is the sound of rushing wind. This is the sound of our birth, a rushing wind. I don't know if there's any great significance to that. There probably is, in the sense that we're not necessarily victors yet, that we're kind of pilgrims in this world. But what it is clear is that our origin is from heaven and our citizenship is in heaven now, notice what else happens. Something else happens, and it says, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
And then it says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. It's kind of an, uh, an interesting way of putting it uh, here in three. It's the idea that there was like these little, little fiery things that looked like tongues, had the shape of a tongue, and, and it kind of just spread out like, like a fire. I don't know if you ever watched a fire as it grew and how it just spreads, and it just spreads like this. And, and, and that, that's the idea you get. It's just, it symbolizes this fire there and the, the, demonstrates the presence of God. It demonstrates the holiness of God, demonstrates the purity of God, right? Demonstrates that all of these people were now indwelt by the Holy Spirit and, and appears on all of them, right? Each one of them inside the house. No one is excluded. And then notice what it says in verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that the next statement of verse 4 will probably catch a lot of our imagination of they spoke in tongues, what's that? But I, I want you to, for a moment, not think about the tongues. Because tongues will only appear three times in the book. It's something unique. It's not something that everybody can do, right? It's not, every, it's not something that every Christian is, is promised to do. And that's not really the point The point is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it's this word, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is really important. Not the speaking in tongues. There's a reason for it. But what's really important is that we see that they're filled with the Spirit. So the question is, what does it mean that they were filled with the Spirit? We know this word from writings of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. He talks about numerous ministries of the Holy Spirit, right? In Titus, he talks about the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit causes new life. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about being baptized by the Holy Spirit, and he refers to that baptism as being placed into the body of Christ. In fact, it apart from apart from Paul telling us that that's what happens, we would have probably never know that. We would never know that we are placed into Christ apart from the scripture. Nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a description of something that happens to us and how we're placed into Christ. It's clear that when a person places their faith in Christ, they're also permanently dwelt and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that we're now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. So in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, as he's describing this, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and we have access to this, notice how he describes then our response to this. And notice, notice what he says in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Same word. Now, it's easy for us to look at this word filled and go, okay, it's like a glass. It's empty. I put stuff in it. Now it's full. Thus, that must mean what Paul means here. I have no Holy Spirit, and then I just somehow get more Holy Spirit. And there's times that I just need to fill it off like a gas tank, right? It's like, it's like spiritual fuel for my life. I, my, my tank is running empty. Lord, pour some more in. That is not even close 
to what this word filled means. In fact, throughout the whole New Testament, you see this word filled with people saying they were filled with anger. They were filled with jealousy. And this word here means to be controlled. So the issue for a believer is never, can I get more Holy Spirit? Can I get more of a Holy Spirit? It's more of a question of how much do I let him have control in my life? And so the the filling of the Holy Spirit here is yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit control you so that you can then produce the fruit of the Spirit. Right? That, that's, that's the idea here. And notice, notice what, how Paul describes this filling of the Spirit. He says, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for, every, uh, for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that, that's the result, right? The, the yielding of the Spirit causes this incredible result. I see no reason when we look back at Acts chapter 2 to say, well, Luke is describing anything different than the filling of the Holy Spirit. Was it true that at this time there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was unique to human history? Of course. And was there involving baptism of the Holy Spirit? Of course. Yeah, that happened. There's no doubt. But when it says they were filled, to me this means that they are controlled by the Spirit. That's what it is. So friends, notice the power, the empowerment for them to be a witness has happened. And, and what is it? They're, they're filled with the Spirit. And, and from that filling and control of the Spirit, a lot of stuff is about ready to happen. Stuff that is so unique. When you read this text later on today and throughout this week as you think about it, I want you to think about that. That a witness is spirit-filled. I've gone through a lot of evangelism training. I have a lot of friends who are evangelists. You know how much time they've spent on talking about you have to be walking with the Lord in order to share the gospel? Goose egg. Zero. It's all about say this, say this. When they say this, say that. It's all script. Remember one time I was doing door knocking as was the custom. And I was knocking on the door, people would answer, and here I was, this high school kid, and I was reading from a prompt, and one guy, one guy said, uh, no thank you, the Mormons already came. And I was incensed. I said, I'm not a Mormon. So I continued to read, and he said, kid, what are you selling? I was even incensed even after that. How dare you think I'm peddling the gospel? And he shut the door, and I walked away angry, justified in my anger. I'm not a Mormon. I'm out here sharing the gospel. I'm not a salesman. How dare he, if he only knew the truth that was on the pages of the script I was reading. And then as I thought about that moment over the years, I realized, I was a salesman. Are you? He pegged me. He pegged me 100%. What are you selling, kid? I was selling the gospel. I didn't care. I don't even know the guy's name. Didn't even ask his name. I didn't even care to know his name. I didn't care to know what was going on. I didn't care what church he went to, even if he went to church. I had a script. It was all about content. How do we we say the content? What are the things? To be a witness of Christ and a representative of Christ means that you and I have to be filled 
by the Spirit. Because when you and I are filled by the Spirit, we have the right motivation. When we're filled by the Spirit, we have the right attitudes. When we're filled by the Spirit, that also means that we're filled with Scripture. And our goal, then, is to glorify God. And so when I'm sharing the gospel, it's not out of some weird obligation for church growth. It's because Jesus is that important. And Jesus is that relevant. And Jesus is that great that I want to talk about him. And I want to talk about him all the time. I can't help it. This is important about us being a witness. We need to be walking by the power of the Spirit. This has to be there. This is like the baseline. Now, notice what happens when they're filled with the Spirit. Notice, notice, notice the result here and, and the boldness that comes. And it says, And they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. I don't want to get lost in the weeds here, friends. Um, there's a lot that is said today about tongues, and a lot of it is made up. It's not true. It's not true biblical tongues. Here, the word literally means they spoke in other languages, known languages. And the reason that we know that they spoke in other languages is because the things that's said by the audience. The audience says, how can we hear it? In Egyptian, how can we hear it in Roman? How can we hear it in Arabian, right? How can we hear it in all these languages? Because they were speaking languages. And the the, the amazing thing was that they said, these guys don't know those languages. We know that they don't know these languages. And how is it that they're able to speak it perfectly? We also get the sense from Paul when he talks about tongues, though some try to distinguish tongues here that's happening here and tongues that's happening in in the, in the book of Corinthians. That's another debate for another time. Uh, you know where I land. I think it's the same gift. He talks about not really knowing what he's talking about. So it's possible that these people are simply saying things that they don't even know. They're, they're speaking in Swahili. They don't know Swahili. They can't understand Swahili. But a person who knows Swahili hears it and they go, no. do you know what he's saying? Can you hear what he's saying? And then you go up to him, what did you say? I have no idea. That's the sense you get from Paul when he talks about tongues. By the way, the word here for tongues is glossolalia. We get the English glossary from. So it's really talking about a dialect, right? And it's another one. But, but notice, they notice that all of a sudden just erupt and speaking in all these different languages. Notice, they start speaking in other tongues. I love this. As the Spirit gave them utterance. This means that they were under the control of the Holy Spirit and they spoke in an ordered way as the Holy Spirit was leading them to speak. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? I think this is gorgeous. I think this is a beautiful way of describing the filling of the Holy Spirit and how he works and the leading of the Spirit and the guiding of the Spirit. They weren't all speaking at once. They were speaking in an ordered fashion while they were being controlled by the Spirit. You you understand that to be an effective witness to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to our families, we have to be led by the Spirit. If we are not led by the Spirit, we will not be an effective witness. It's impossible. So, obviously, people heard this loud, rushing wind... So notice what happens in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Yep. 
and devout men from every nation under heaven. So lots of different people from lots of different cultures are coming, right? They hear this loud wind. And notice it says, and at this sound, I think this is the, the, the wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were confused and they said, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are these guys not who are speaking Galilean? Now, when I first read this, my first question was, how did they know that these guys from Galilee, if they're from other places? Well, I think it's clear they weren't all speaking all at the same time. There was one that was speaking, and then someone else would then speak in a different tongue, and then someone else would speak in a different tongue. And so when somebody would come up and talk to these people, as they talked to these people, these people spoke normal. And Galileans had an accent, right? We know about the southern jaw. If we hear somebody with a southern jaw, we would go, what? That person's from the south. It's not hard. We go, because of the way they talk, we know where they're from. That's how they knew. Which makes this even more amazing, right? This can only be something that God does. And it says, notice the languages that are are mentioned here. Because it says, and how is it that they say to each other, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And notice it's, Parinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt. Think about all those different languages, all those different cultures, all those different histories. Right? So many. And then notice, it says, in parts of Egypt and parts of Libya, and there were Cyrenes and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, And they're saying, how are we hearing it all these languages? But notice what they say. And this is crucial. Because we get so caught up in the modern tongues thing that we forget to read the text. So notice what he says next. He says, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. What is that mighty works of God that they're talking about? I don't know. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension? That's what they're talking about. Are you, come on. I mean, what else would they be talking about? What, what else would they say? Do you see? Here are spirit-filled witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what, what do they talk about when they talk as a result of the control? They talk about the great works of God. They're worshiping. And when the spirit-filled, empowered witnesses talk about the great power of God... Guess what happens? That transcends language, cultures, histories. It does. Jesus and the gospel is the only message that can be shared throughout all of time and it be the most relevant message ever shared. There is never a message that you and I could craft that could be that relevant. It's this message And a spirit-filled person can do nothing but talk about it. Why? Because that's the truth. That's the truth. And a person that loves God will talk about God. The person that loves Jesus will talk about Jesus. The person who's raptured with the gospel will talk about the gospel. That's the logical conclusion. They were talking about the mighty works of God because this is what spirit-filled people do. 
because we're motivated by love. We're motivated by peace. We're motivated by the scriptures. There's this throbbing desire to see God glorified. And how is he glorified? By us talking about him all the time. Whether the person we're talking to already knows him or they don't. It doesn't matter to us. You see, this is the important part of evangelism and our witness as a church to our community. This is important. It's something that needs to be axiomatic. It needs to be a presupposition. It needs to be something that is so obvious that it's not even challenged. And it's something that we just automatically say, this has, to be, this has to be the case. We have to be walking by the Spirit. Now, notice what happened in verse 12 and 13. It says, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What are they talking about? I think the whole thing. What is going on? There's a loud rush of wind. Now all of a sudden we hear all these people talking about the great works of God in all these different languages. What is happening here? What's going on? Whether they believed what was said or not, I don't know. But what we do know is that they're very curious. We also see another group. (laughs) Verse 13. uh, It's kind of interesting. This is the only time that, that really this... This phrase, mocking, is used in the New Testament. It says, but others mocked. The, the sense is, is that it's, it's making fun of, belittling. And it says, they mocked and they said they are filled with new wine. This doesn't mean that they were saying this because they were acting like they were filled with wine, like they were drunk, as some would suggest. No, they're making fun of, trying to downplay what's happening. What's happening is serious. And what's happening is convicting. And scoffers don't want that. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to marginalize what's happening and the message that's being spoken. They're trying to marginalize it and downplay it so that they don't have to take it serious. That's what's happening. That's what the flesh does. So, as we talk about our witness, I think it's important that we see that our witness needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I was thinking this morning of, you know, I, I talk about a lot of things that I love. I love guitar. You don't have to twist my arm to talk about guitars. I, in fact, uh, for the next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about guitars. I bring up guitars in conversations that don't even have guitars talking about them. You want to know why? Because I just love them. I, I love everything about guitars. I love acoustic. I love classical. I love whether they're electric, whether they're electric and acoustic. It doesn't matter. By the way, have I talked to you about guitars lately? Because I love it, I have no problem talking about it. In fact, I have no problem if you walk up to me and go, Caleb, we're, we know you like guitars. Thank you. That will just give me more opportunity to then to convince you why you should love guitars. That's what I think evangelism should be like. Not, not, because, not, not because I'm trying to fill some quota. Not, not because pastor's going to yell at me if I don't. I talk about Jesus because I love Jesus. I, I talk about the things of the Lord because I love the things of the Lord. And, and you can't get me to stop talking about the things of the Lord. Whether you want me to or not, it doesn't matter. I love him. I, I talk about the Lord because I love other people. 
the people in our community who do not know Jesus are not the enemy. They might, they might follow our enemy, but they're not the enemy. They might disagree with us on many things. Okay, that doesn't make them the enemy. We might look at them as like a mission field, like somebody to be won. Friends, they are fellows, humans, made in the image of God. Jesus loves them because he came and died on the cross for their sins. I need to see them like Jesus sees them. And that's what drives me. I love them because I love God. So my, my motivation to say what I say to them about Jesus is motivated out of my pure love for them. I don't want anything from them. I don't care about what happens after. I want you to know Jesus. And sometimes I feel like our evangelism that we do and we say in the modern church makes people like a product, like a number, like cattle, like some burst of beat, like, like some beast of burden we put a number on them and one size fits all you just say this script and when you're done with the script amen they reject it they're rejecting the lord what what if what if they just don't feel that we love them and care about them so why would they listen to a message when we don't care about them you understand that all of these are connected together and a spirit-filled christian who's biblically minded understands these things and that's what motivates him The Apostle Paul says the motivation of our teaching is love from a pure heart and a clean conscience. That's that's what I want for us as a church, to be motivated by love, to be motivated by Christ, to be motivated by Scripture. And, and, And that will affect our witness. Now, we have this incredible opportunity this morning, this incredible opportunity.